Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today and we're ready to study the Bible with you and hopefully find some answers to your questions. If you're a first time viewer, you need to know that that's what we do here is answer questions. Uh, phone number and a website are at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us and uh, let us know what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we do is try to help people know their Bible a little better by answering your questions about the Bible. Uh, let me introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. And we've got uh, some good ones coming up. One about the 144,000, who they are, and uh, a couple about baptism, one about... Uh, uh, judgment Day and lots of interesting things today, but we always start with one for our viewing audience and uh, see if you know who was afraid of his twin brother. Had a little sibling rivalry going on here in the Bible. Uh, one twin was afraid of the other one, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family know that bit of Bible information. But, Toby, I think you drew the first one, so let's get started. Yep, we have a question about Bible verses and churches and Romans chapter 1, verse 26 is very plain about God's opinion of homosexuality. Why are so many churches trying to find a way around this teaching? Well, uh, I think part of that is uh, the work of the enemy. Since the beginning, our old ancient foe, that serpent, uh, has been uh, whispering into our ears and our minds the question, Did God really say? And he's been questioning God's truth since the beginning and continues to throughout history and even until today. It's not a, a new thing, certainly, for God to say something about any given thing and for the enemy to question that, twist it. Um, and so, certainly, the Bible is very clear about the subject of homosexual behavior, uh, that it's inappropriate, that it's immoral, uh, that it's uh, something that uh, people that want to be godly should not engage in. Uh, now, I want to take just a moment to say that the verse we're going to look at in just a minute uh, talks about homosexuality, but Romans chapter 1 talks about a lot of other sins too, and the Bible is very clear about those as well. Uh, lest we be too, take too much of a pile-on approach over one sin over another, uh, we can just be very clear about the Bible and what it says about all sins and that all of them uh, displease God because He knows they're not what's best for us. But let's look at the verse in a little bit of context. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 26. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged unnatural, uh, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. So yeah, it, Romans chapter 1, uh, amongst other scriptures in the Bible, is very clear about 
uh, sexual behavior. Now, this does not mean that God believes that sex is bad. Sex is something God created uh, as a beautiful thing, but it's to be between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage. And in that context, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Uh, The question is, why do churches uh, try to find a way around this teaching? And without being able to answer for every church, uh, my simple answer to that is it's easier. Uh, the culture has shifted, attitudes have changed, and there's a lot of pressure on churches and those who preach from the pulpit and teach from uh, the uh, Bible uh, to eh, we maybe think a little bit differently. And that's dangerous territory when you begin adapting God's Word to the values and standards of the world. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the other way around. The church is supposed to teach and train the world about the standards of righteousness according to God. So um, churches do that because it's more politically correct, because it's easier, it's more comfortable. You get certainly a lot less hate mail and and uh, picked on much less if you'll just go along. Um, Paul called that itching ears. Uh, People are ready to hear something that they want to hear. Uh, That's dangerous when churches begin preaching to the itching ears. So here's where Paul said that, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Doctrine's a word for teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears aside from the truth and turn aside to myths. So, good churches understand that God's truth is always true and will be vigilant in preaching it and teaching it in a truthful and loving way. And that's what we endeavor to do on this program as well. All right. Good answer. Thank you, Toby. Uh, Revelation question. We get a lot of Revelation questions, and this one just says, explain. Revelation 14.1, who are the 144,000, and what is the meaning of their song? Uh, Well, we'll read that verse in just a moment and let you see what the viewer is talking about. But let me just say first, uh, this is probably one of the most abused verses in Revelation, and that's saying something if you can be one of the most abused verses in Revelation because people take Revelation to mean almost anything you can think of it meaning uh, without the context of Revelation. Uh, But let's look at the verse and see what it says. Revelation 14.1 says this, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And then verse 3 actually mentions the song, and it says, They sang a new song. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. All right, so that's what the passage says. Now, the viewer wants to know what that means. Well, let's go through a couple of things first. First of all, 144,000 is a symbolic number for a complete, a big group, really. Twelve uh, is kind of a perfect number in the Bible, and 12 times 12 times 1,000 means really complete, big, perfect number. So I'm not, I don't think it's 144,000 specific people there, but it's a big group. Uh, Second thing, we can tell from that first verse that they belong to God. They have God's name and Jesus' name written on their foreheads. That's another symbol that they belong to Him. Uh, And the song a viewer wants to know what's the meaning of it. Well, it tells us it's the song of the redeemed. 
and no one could learn it except those who've been redeemed from the earth. Uh, so to me, all I can get from that is that it's a song about being redeemed. It's a song that the angels can't sing uh, because they haven't been redeemed. They were created and they've stayed in heaven and all that. There's a difference between them and those of us who have been redeemed from earth. So it's a song that only believers, only those saved from the earth can sing. Now, that's about all those verses tell us. Revelation 7 also mentions the 144,000, and it tells us a little bit more about them. Uh, it says, first of all, that they're Jews. They're all Jews, and 12,000 from each tribe. Once again, I think that's symbolic. Uh, and it mentions that they were the ones who believed that Jesus was the Christ. They're believers. So that's who they are. They're Christians who were converted from Judaism or came to believe in Christ. Uh, now, some people take that passage and say, well, there's only going to be 144,000 in heaven. Uh, that's a really, really poor job of reading the Bible. All you got to do is read one more verse. Uh, in fact, let's just read it from Revelation 7. After it mentions the 144,000, then verse 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. All right, so what's it mean? Uh, I think the picture is of heaven, and it says there's going to be a big group of Jews who believed in the Christ, and then there's going to be a multitude from every other nation and every other tribe. Uh, all of them are those who are believers, who uh, believed and obeyed Christ and are in heaven because of it. So, symbolic picture of all the different folks that are going to be in heaven, and all of them will be able to sing the song of the redeemed because we've been redeemed uh, from our sins here on earth. So, pretty simple explanation, I think, and shouldn't make a whole lot more out of it. <laughs> hey, uh, I, before I go to the next question, I wanted to address the question I just answered at the very beginning of the program when a viewer asked about homosexuality. Mm -hmm. There's something I wanted to say that okay. I think is very important, and that is that uh, homosexuality, as I said, is a sin according to the Bible. Uh, however, if a person's out there watching the program and that's a sin that they struggle with, uh, if you find a good Bible-believing church who will teach the truth in love, uh, maybe a church that's got a Celebrate Recovery ministry, uh, they can help you and they can, uh, and you can be redeemed from that. You can be forgiven of that as you can any sin. So I didn't want to leave viewers out there without hope and thinking that was the unpardonable sin. Uh, you know, we don't okay it, but uh, we, we believe that, as Paul said to the yep. church at Corinth, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, anyway, I just wanted to mention that. So okay. find a good no. church if someone no. is struggling in that That's area. Let me add, that, that topic is so difficult to discuss these yep. days. Uh, and mainly because a lot of people listening to your answer aren't hearing what you're saying yeah. because the world has changed the definition of homosexuality from behavior to identity. identity. Yep. Okay? Yep. So uh, that's not the way the Bible talks about it. Yep, absolutely. The Bible talks about people doing wrong things yep. uh, and lists those things as sin, but the temptation to do it or the inclination, or it doesn't, it doesn't address that. Yep. It just says these things don't do. Uh, so, like I say, that's a topic that's really hard to discuss, especially in three minutes or sure, so. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. And, but if you there is somebody watching and they're struggling with that, you know, we've yep. got a wonderful Celebrate Recovery ministry and a lot of 
other churches do too, and churches are here to help people mm -hmm. who are struggling in sin. Yeah. All right, now on to the okay. next question. Uh, a viewer asked the question, when we die, is our spirit conscious until the day of judgment? My answer to that is yes, and it's really only based on one uh, script, uh, scriptural story, but story that Jesus told uh, in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus, And it's one of those stories that's the only one that gives us any insight into the afterlife. The Bible doesn't tell us a great deal about what that's like, and so we kind of have to use a verse here and a verse there and piece things together. So admittedly, this could be a very incomplete picture. But to answer your question, in that story in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 uh, and following, the rich man goes to the, the realm of the dead, and he's in torment, he's in agony. And so when we read that story, we can see easily he's aware of the situation. He knows who he is. He knows who uh, uh, Lazarus is. He can see Abram. He's in torment. He has feeling. He has the ability to hear and listen. Uh, how that all works, I don't know, but... As Jesus tells us anyway, uh, he is certainly aware of his condition. And it would seem to me that we could infer uh, from that that we also uh, would, would be in the same situation after we die. Other than that, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot, as I said. But Hebrews chapter 9 is a verse we're going to look at very quickly. Uh, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment... So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him, or waiting for him, rather. So uh, I think, at least from that story, it appears we will be conscious and we will have an awareness. Uh, exactly how that's going to work, don't know for sure. He doesn't explain much about that, but uh, <laughs> the, the indications are we will. Take just a moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we study the Bible by answering a few questions each week with you, but we also advocate home Bible study, and we've got some free Bible study materials that we'll be happy to send you. Uh, we think they're a big help in studying the Bible, and especially if you're a new student or don't know much about the Bible, this is a good way to start. Uh, if you're an old-time Bible student, this will still work. It'll bring to mind a lot of things you may have learned before, but it'll remind you of them. There's eight lessons in this first series that we see on the screen. Uh, we send you to them, one, send them to you one at a time, and uh, you learn a few different things about the Bible and get a good overview of the Bible. And when you're done with this eight lessons, you get a certificate that says you completed it, and then you can go on to some more advanced courses if you want. Keep studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible study materials. So uh, phone number, website on the screen, use them anytime. Tell us, I want you want that free course. We'll get it started for you, and uh, you, you'll know a lot more about your Bible if you stick with it and get through those courses. All right, question about infant baptism. What about infant baptism? Does that count? Uh, well, I like a good succinct question, and <laughs> we got one here. Does that count? Uh, and my answer is it depends what you mean by count and who does it count for um, I think it counts for the parents uh, parents that baptize their children have their children baptized or when they're infants uh, have good intentions they're stating that yes I want to raise my child uh, in a godly way I'm kind of pledging to raise godly children uh, so I think that's good for parents it's a open proclamation of how they intend to raise that child. Uh, but if you mean, does it count for the eternal salvation of that child's soul? 
Uh, I have to say from the Bible, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, it may be a nice pledge to say this is how I'm going to raise a child, but it doesn't have any effect on the child. Now, let me give you an illustration. Uh, <clears throat> I've known parents who were big baseball fans or basketball fans or something like that, and uh, you see a picture of the baby in the crib the first day home, and they've got a little baseball glove and a baseball cap on, and Dad says, I'm going to raise a baseball player. Uh, okay, that's fine, but when that child gets old enough, uh, he's, he or she's going to have to decide if they want to be a baseball player. A lot of them don't. Uh, so it's a matter of the child deciding and the child deciding how they're going to live. And that's what the Bible says. It talks about people who are old enough and understanding enough to respond to the gospel message. It's not something that we get done for you when you're an infant and don't know anything. So uh, in a way to illustrate this further, I made a list of some of the things in the Bible that it says are necessary for salvation. And just ask yourself, can an infant do any of these things? Uh, Romans 10, 14, 15 says you have to hear the gospel uh, before you can be saved. John 3, 16 says you have to believe that gospel. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Acts 17.30 says you have to repent of the things that you've been doing wrong. Romans 10.9 says you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And Acts 2.38 says you need to be baptized. Now, of all of those, Acts 2.38, uh, kind of in a way we can baptize an infant. An infant can't do any of those other things. Uh, but since baptism, the act itself is not the the saving power. It's the response of a person's heart to the gospel message that's the saving power. Uh, so baby can't do any of those things. We can put some water on a baby and pledge that we're going to raise that child in a godly way, but it doesn't have anything to do with the eternal salvation of that child and doesn't count in that sense. All right. A viewer asked the next question, and they want to know, what is the terrible sin Adam and Eve committed? I, and I think I understand when you read through Genesis chapter 3, it's like, well, God said not to eat of this particular tree, and that, because they disobeyed that, that results in the condemnation of the whole world? I mean, is, what's the problem? They just ate a piece of fruit. Doesn't that seem to be a little bit of an overreaction? Well, uh, I can understand uh, when you read that how it might seem... Uh, to be that way. Uh, however, when you understand what sin is, sin is uh, intentionally, willfully, purposely disobeying God. And I guess I said intentionally, that can also be done unintentionally. But Adam and Eve were specifically told, and this is something that parents can identify with, or young children, when you specifically tell them, whether it's a big thing or a small thing, one of the most maddening things in the world as a parent is to have specifically stated, don't do this or do that. And the child does exactly the opposite of what you told them to do. Um, on a much higher degree, Adam and Eve disrespected the holiness of God, uh, His Word, His presence. He had given them everything that they needed and uh, had put this limitation on them. And why did God put that limitation? Well, He knew what would come. He knew the results. He knew the pain. He knew all of the consequences that would come as a result of sin. 
sin brought a whole lot of consequence and heartbreak into their world uh, that they surely didn't understand. And it comes down to a matter of you going to trust what your father says to do. Now, in the same way, we have the same choice every single day. Are we going to trust what God says? Are we going to try to do it our own way and figure out what we tell our children? Are you going to learn the easy way and trust us? Or are you going to learn the hard way and have to learn through consequences? So uh, the basic terrible sin is, is sin itself. All sin is terrible. All sin separates us from God. All sins break the heart of God, no matter how big or how small. Let's read Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free. Notice that. He gives him everything. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. God explained very clearly what their, what their consequences would be. And yet they chose to disobey instead. The terrible sin is not trusting in the Lord and not giving, uh, ascribing Him the holiness to which He is due. Okay, exactly right. Good answer and all that. But I had kind of a funny thought. I think when you were talking about telling a child yeah. specifically don't do this, yeah. it's worse than that. This was the only rule they had. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> only had one rule. You know, so, and, and it's right that yep. they specifically disobeyed God. But you just think about that. Yep. Just one thing. Anything just, else just you can anything do. Anything else. One thing. <laughs> All right. If you ever wants to know about tongue speaking, is speaking in tongues necessary to be a good Christian? Well, we have to explain every time we get a question about speaking in tongues that there's a difference between what the Bible means when it says speaking in a tongue and what people today that claim they can speak in tongues mean. Uh, in the Bible, it was speaking in another language, speaking in a language that you had not learned that somebody from that country or nation or dialect could understand. Okay. Uh, it was a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that you could use to evangelize someone or communicate to somebody about Christ any place you went. And Paul had that gift. Uh, he did it more than others, he said. And that was because he was a missionary. He went to a lot of different places and he could talk to people. So that's what the Bible means when it talks about it. That's all it means when it talks about it. Now today what people call speaking in tongues is a, a language that... Uh, and you can read all the scientific studies on it. Uh, no one has ever found somebody that can speak a real foreign language that somebody on earth can understand uh, without having studied or heard that language before. It's a the technical term for it in science is glossolalia. It's an ecstatic utterance where you kind of remove your conscious mind from it and let your subconscious babble. It's very similar to baby talk where a baby's just making sounds and we don't have time to cover all that. Uh, but that's what it is. Now, people believe that it's a God-given gift. They've been taught that. Uh, they've learned how to do it. It's a learned behavior. Uh, some people think it's a second act of grace that God gives you, that it's a proof of salvation, that it's a way to become more holy and, and all of that. People believe that and are confident that what they're doing pleases God and all that. Studies show that it makes people feel better about themselves. Uh, so there's that 
two different things. Now, back to the question, is either of those necessary to be a good Christian? And my answer to that is no. Uh, Whichever definition you use, uh, it's not necessary. In fact, I can prove that by showing you that even in the first century, even when the real gift existed, and it's passed away now, even when the real gift existed, not everybody could. So it's definitely not necessary. Let's look at a couple of verses, 1 Corinthians 12, 30, where Paul's discussing it. He says, do all speak in tongues? His point to the Corinthian churches, they were making a big deal out of it. And he said, not everybody can do it. It's a gift of the Spirit. In fact, he says the Spirit gives gifts as he wills. And then in chapter 13 and verse 8, he tells them another reason they shouldn't be so excited about it is where there are tongues, where's this ability to speak another language, they will be stilled. It's going to stop. It will cease. Uh, so that's, you read 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, you'll get his picture uh, of saying that, no, this isn't such a big deal. It's the least of the gifts, and not everybody can do it, and it's going to stop anyway. So today... Whichever definition you use, uh, I'm confident that no, it's not necessary to be a good Christian. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We are sponsored by Churches of Christ, and one of those is over in Hutchinson, Kansas, uh, the Eastwood Church of Christ. Great group of folks over there and uh, have been supporters of Know Your Bible for decades, and we appreciate their support and help. Uh, If you live in that neighborhood, you might want to drop in and visit them sometime. Certainly, if you're searching for a church home, you'd uh, find a great group of folks there that would welcome you very warmly and uh, help you study the Bible, a lot like we do on this program. Uh, Maybe you know somebody that attends the Eastwood Church of Christ. You might just mention to them at work or school or wherever you see them uh, that, hey, I saw you on TV the other day, and we watched that program and appreciate it. That'll be help to them to know they're doing some good work there. So uh, whatever market you're in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Drop in, visit them sometime. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. Okay. A viewer asks, why are so many young people leaving the church? And there's a a great depth to that answer that I don't have a lot of time for. A lot of different reasons. There could be inconsistency in what they see their parents doing on Sunday and what how they see them living Monday through Saturday. Could be a lack of training in the home. Could be a difference of values where they're you know always putting uh, sports and various activities in front of worshiping the Lord and being with other Christians. So there's a lot of variables that could be a lack of of intentionality by the parents. They're not doing what Deuteronomy says. Deuteronomy 6 says about reading and talking about the Word of God and thinking about it all throughout the various parts of your life as you sit along, sit at home, as you walk along the road, etc. Um, it could be just a very simple reason. A parent may have done all of those things, and a child could just be very self-centered, decide they don't like doing worshiping God. They don't want to serve other people. They don't want to think about other people. They want to live how they want to live. So there's too many variables to give you a cookie cutter answer. Uh, But uh, I think a better uh, focus would be what can we do? 
we got to be intentional about training our children. You have to invest time with them. Quality time comes from quantity time. Uh, you got to you got to let them see consistency in your walk and talk. Let's look very quickly at Ephesians chapter six. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It doesn't happen by accident. All right, we're out of time. Our trivia question was about. Uh, afraid of his twin brother and the answer to that is Jacob was afraid of Esau. Glad you've been with us today and hope you're back next week as we answer some more of your questions on Know Your Bible. Till then have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.